Welcome to Investing Insights, partnered by Right Property Group. This is your host, Phil Tarrant. Good day, everyone. It's uh, Phil Tarrant here. Welcome to Investing Insights with the Right Property Group. Phil Tarrant, I am the host of this very special podcast. If you're new to it, uh, welcome. Um, this is the second series of this podcast we've been doing with the guys from Right Property Group. So we're going to be doing uh, releasing these over the next period of time. Just for those people who haven't yet listened to it, we're going to do some special, uh, in case you missed it, episodes moving forward. But what is Investing Insights with the Right Property Group? It's a uh, collaboration between the Smart Property Investment Show, Smart Property Investment Podcast Network, and the guys at Right Property Group, uh, Victor Kumar and Steve Waters, uh, who are my buyer's agents, and uh, they have been for probably over five years now. I can't remember exactly when we started buying, about 2011 or so. Um, and these guys have been pretty integral in, in helping me create wealth through property. And uh, as a listener to the Smart Property Investment Show, you're very familiar with our portfolio and how we're shared along the way. And you may have heard uh, Stephen Victor on that beforehand. Um, but Investing Insights with the Right Property Group, I really enjoy this podcast. It's a special series. We're going to do 12 episodes over the year, and we're going to dig deep into a lot of the issues impacting property investors, a lot more than what we do on the Smart Property Investment Show. So this is an opportunity for me to really look at a lot of the key factors influencing uh, the way in which you go about investing in property, digging deep into very specific themes and strategies and also concepts, which we don't normally touch on the Smart Property Investment Show. But as a regular listener to the Smart Property Investment Show, you know that I am not a property expert. I'm just a journalist and it's my job to actually extract really good information out of my guests and um, my guests on this show. Steve Waters, Victor Kumar, guys, how are you going? Well, mate, how are you? Good just, a journo. just a journo. Just a journo. <laughs> just a journo. Just a journo. It's a... Uh, it's my job to chat to you guys and uh, <laughs> and try and get some information from you that will help others. That's what we do, isn't it? Sounds good. Yeah. So this is uh, uh, series two of Investing Insights, Victor. Mm-hmm. Uh, series one, highly successful. And um, as I said before, we're going to do some reruns of that for people who haven't yet listened into it yep. so they can uh, digest some of the key factors that we've spoken about previously. And that's gone from, you know, how to create equity or, or the art of manufacturing equity, houses versus units, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's a lot of different... So answering all the basic questions. All that, the basic um, questions. Yeah, a lot of things that are not often talked about or glossed over. Mm. Uh, so we did, did quite a few interesting topics in there and a few laughs in there as well yeah we have done and they were really popular but for, for people that don't know you guys and what you do so i'll give you a real quick brief intro you buy as agents you're, you're the guys i use so every property i've purchased um uh, within our smart property investment portfolio you guys have um acted as my buyer's agent you've been around for a while haven't you a little while yeah, yeah. so we've we've um well i've been personally investing since uh, 1999 and Steve, you've been investing around the similar time frame. Yeah, Two thousand, well. two thousand for me. Yeah, so it's been a while. So we've seen several property cycles, and um, I think uh, that that's one of the key things is that um, you know to to really become an expert uh, in handling different aspects of um, property because it brings different sets of problems with different um, uh, financials, different governments. Uh, different um, economic drivers. You need to have gone through these different cycles to be able to counteract that and know what to do. Uh, and uh, I guess that's one of the key things that we bring uh, to the plate for our clients and indeed for ourselves because we lean on each other, uh, myself and Steve, to lean on our experiences to uh, advise each other mm. on how to how to manage our own portfolios as well. Uh, because it's, it's, it's always good to have an us, outsider's perspective to your portfolio. Absolutely, and um, uh, I've long been an advocate of using the experts to help you create wealth through property. And uh, yes, Steve, I'm just a journo, but uh, I'm smart <laughs> enough to know that I should be surrounding myself with people who are smarter than me that can do the things associated with investing in property, be successful at property better than I can. So hence the reason I work very closely with Victor. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now there's the first gimmick. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Straight in there. I don't mind a dig, but um, look, you know, you, you guys know what you're doing. Um, you know, we're fortunate in Australia that we have some exceptional buyers agents around it. It's a, uh, it's in, it's a industry. It's a, it's, it's a skill set that's evolving quite Very new rapidly. Industry, yeah. yeah, it is. It's a really new industry. You guys have been been at it for quite some time, mm. and um, obviously to, to Victor's point, you've gone through a number of cycles mm-hmm. um, in terms of buying property. But the role of a buyer's agent is evolving in line with that as well. And um, uh, compared to 20 years ago or 18 years ago when you guys started investing, there probably wasn't many buyers around. There wasn't. Buyers agents. No, there wasn't no. any around. Yeah. And for me, it was, and Vic was the same. There was there were courses for mm. sure that that were out there, but, but they were more along. Uh, off the plan and house mm-hmm. and packages and all that sort of rubbish, but it was it was more of a we had to do it to experience to see what would work and what wouldn't, uh, and it's it's held us well. You know, we don't talk just about what you should be doing, but a lot of what you shouldn't be doing because if it doesn't work, we've had a go at it, mm. and we'll be straight up and say that does not work yeah. at this part of the cycle or at that part of the cycle. Um, but twenty years investing, it's well, you know, nearly yeah. twenty years investing. It's a long time. It is a long time, and. Um, as I alluded to beforehand, that the purpose of this podcast is to just dig deep into all of these issues and and helping our listeners um, uh, benefit from your experience. Um, you know how they can be better property investors. I think, you know, collectively as a motherhood issue, as people that work within property, we want Australians to be better geared to be able to make better investment decisions. And yeah, you know, we've all heard the horror stories of people getting absolutely wrong, and and getting it wrong in property can get can really hurt. wrong. Mm. Can get really wrong. So um. You don't want to be risking. You don't want to be throwing too many things to chance uh, uh, investing in property. So uh, over this series, Victor, the next uh, 12 episodes of um, Investing Insights with the Right Property Group, we'll go through some of these things, taking looking at the market where we are today and what's happening and how we can interface that with some good, solid principles around property investing and uh, hopefully get some gems information to help people do what they do. So Absolutely. Today I thought um, it's something it's my siri going off it's just been hearing me uh <laughs> just been hearing me uh, ramble on there for the last five minutes or so but um central to investing in property victor is you know making sure that you can sustain your property portfolio mm-hmm. over time so we take a step back why do you invest in property it's about wealth creation what do you hope to do most people want to have a nice retirement some people just do for the fun of it but yep. most people are planning for retirement but mm-hmm. the benefits of property the longer to, the longer you can typically hold property the better the value is in terms of its capital growth so how do you hold on the property for as long as possible you have good cash flow exactly so let's have a chat about today and i'm sure every property investor has heard of the term cash flow before but i think a lot of property investors probably don't really understand what it is. What is it? As soon as you mention the word cash flow, people automatically think that you, you're talking about cash flow positive properties mm. as opposed to cash flow management. Mm. And they're two very different beasts because most people tend to think that if you're talking cash flow, you should gravitate towards very high yielding properties and, and so forth and automatically start thinking mining towns, automatically start thinking uh, regional areas. Whereas um, what we're talking about is the actual cash flow management. In other words, buying affordable properties to begin with. Now, affordable for one person might not be affordable to someone else because it needs to be linked back to their financial fingerprint. And once you've actually got the property, uh, if you just dial back to the GFC, people people lost their portfolios, lost their, their homes, not because of negative equity or anything as such, but more so because of the negative cash flow that they were carrying. So they couldn't afford to hold onto the property. That's right. That's right. So even the most profitable businesses, and, and property investing is a business, the most profitable business, when they don't have the cash flow, when they're going through a cash flow hiccup, they can tend to fold. 
uh, and and property is no different. So what we need to be looking at when we are uh, investing is is addressing those fundamentals uh, and, and getting into some uh, really simple habits that then uh, can predict uh, any cash flow hiccups that you're likely to face in the near future. And it allows you also to be a lot more reactive uh, to situations arising rather than uh, all of a sudden waking up and realizing that you're carrying a massive negative cash flow por- portfolio, whether it is through buying the wrong properties or whether it is through the um, economy turning in that particular area or simply because you haven't managed it well and and um, uh, you fail to recognize that you, you are imminently losing two or three tenants at once, along with having, if you're self-employed, uh, a slower period in your in your cash flow in the business itself. So there's lots of factors which can That's impact right, lots of moving flow. parts. Yeah. So good cash flow management can help alleviate or mitigate a lot of these problems. And whether it's investing in property or in a business, the same thing holds true. So, Steve, um, we've established you've been at this for a little while and, uh, you know, both uh, as an investor yourself but also someone that supports investors. What, what's what's the secret as to good cash flow management? What do you need to get right? The beginning. And I think this is where people go wrong. They'd actually, they actually don't take stock of where they are at that point in time in their cash flow scenario. So what I'm really talking about there more so than anything is their disposable income, not just now and what they can allocate towards supporting a portfolio, not what you're going to save for deposits, but what you can allocate to support the portfolio. Uh, So not just now, but perhaps also budgeting for life events, whether it's going to be marriage, kids, kids' education. I think that's one thing they get really wrong most of the time. Absolutely, 100% of the time. Because they go into it thinking, well, I've got this, I don't know, five, $600 a week surplus income because I'm single, I'm young, and I've got a good job. But not what's around the corner. And, and where this really starts to, to show its it, its negative side is as your portfolio actually starts to get some, um, some size around it. And as interest rates go up, so your costs go up, it's, it's not about now, it's actually about six months, mm-hmm. two years, 10 years time, and not taking into account that everything is gonna go up equally. So yeah, my rents are gonna go up and every year, year in, year out, and the cost of money is gonna eventually go up. It's a lot more than that. And so when, as Vic rightly said, when we're talking about cash flow, it's actually cash flow management. Yeah, and if you can only afford one property with a higher portion of negative cash flow, then that's okay, as opposed to 10 and, and putting yourself into a, into a pretty poor position. So risk mitigation is probably another good way to look at it. So Victor made a couple of points about when cash flow can become a problem. One of it is, is things happen in the markets which you can't influence. So good cash flow management is understanding the things that you can't control but how to have a response to it and concentrating on things that you can control. And what you can control is the properties you buy, your ability to earn income in, in some ways, how you choose to manage that income, how you choose to do your budgeting, how you choose to spend your money to allow yourself to have a buffer to invest in property. When have you seen it gone really wrong for people? When people find themselves in trouble and they've got to liquidate property because they can't hold it, is most of the time it's bad management or is it normally someone else's fault and they're just a victim of circumstance? No, look, I, I, I truly believe the market never took a cent from anybody. Mm. It says you just cashed out at the wrong time and you cashed out because you had to, so therefore it's your fault. I, I truly don't believe, with with the amount of education that is around today, and there's a lot of good industry experts out there that you can leverage off, there really is no excuse to, to make ill-informed decisions. I think, you know, when we sit down with clients, Steve, uh, a lot of times um, we get... Um told the anecdote that oh, I had to sell that property because we, we, we had a child. Mm. Um, and, and that to me is just purely not planning the portfolio. 
because you need to have properties in there that can, can mitigate those things out so that when when one person is not working in the in the family unit then uh, let's say you've got a property that you've earmarked where you could potentially do a construction to to increase your cash flow uh, as an example would be would be on simple that's, that's all yeah. well ahead of time isn't it yeah you, that's right you already know you're going to do that five years from from now it, it, it is that that delicate that that definite mm-hmm. so to speak and I, th- I think when people part of cash flow management is about having buffers is about being liquid all the time even if you don't use it you need to be in a situation where if you have to use it you will um, but I think coming back to the whole education thing, there's there's so many there's such good education out there. People don't use it. So many experts or subject matter experts that perhaps don't be used to their full potential. And just being real about it, being involved. And I know we've talked about that last season on one of the podcasts about always being involved with your assets. So many people are more involved in you know their their, their cars well being mm-hmm. or whatever it may be as opposed to you know half a million dollar asset. Just crazy. So in the hierarchy of the importance of property investment principles when you're buying property, Victor, question for you, where does cash flow sit? So finding the right property, researching property, getting the mortgage, all this sort of stuff right mm. through management. Where's cash flow sit within that hierarchy? It's pretty high up there. And and again, we need to stress that a cash flow property for one person is different to another. It depends on uh, what income you're earning and also what surplus income you have remaining after you've earned that income. Because, uh, sometimes uh, high income earners actually aren't able to afford the properties they think they can afford uh, and vice versa. The, you know, the lower income earners may be able to afford properties that they thought they couldn't afford. It's a matter of working out how much you can chip in without any of these tax benefits because those get, those things can change. Um, we have had several shaky starts to, to this term in Parliament in terms of uh, negative gearing going and all that. And, and it's always been there ever since I've been investing that, that little rhetoric that, you know, they'll take away negative gearing has always been there. So, you know, you need to take all of those tax incentives out of the equation and look at it purely from a cash in, cash out and see whether it is a property that, you would be able to afford to hold on to and whether it makes sense in your portfolio. And then again, uh, equally importantly, if you are able to afford to hold on to that property, at some point in time, you would want to sell, whether it is a planned sell down or whether it is to uh, capitalize on other opportunities. Uh, And you need to be making sure that there are enough people out there to buy it off you. In other words, it needs to be affordable to them as well. So uh, you need to be looking at simple things such as liquidity in the market in that sense to make sure that you're not caught in a in a situation where you're absolutely bleeding holding onto the property and there's no one to sell it to as well so to use the analogy of business and use that beforehand um profit and loss versus cash flow so Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of profitable business go out of business because they can't sustain the cash flow so let's look at this concept can you just explain profit and loss versus cash flow so uh, we'll bring it back to bring it back to the property itself, right? So uh, most people tend to focus on the equity in the property and, and uh, you know how much equity they would make, but to to control that equity, you need to be putting in some money to help hold onto it, which is your cash flow, whether it is you know giving you money, uh, the property is actually giving you money on a on a day in day out basis, or you're actually chipping in money to hold on to it while it grows in value. So that that's what you need to differentiate in, in, in that sense. So it's a bringing it back to to a, a business point of view. Uh, you've got you've got a product which is the property itself and um, the service in inverted commas is the rent 
that's coming. So the service fees, the rent that's coming in. And and what we want to do is making sure that our cost to hold that product is very much on par with the service fee we're getting from that product. Uh, and, and if you can look at it from those simple things and, and, and bring it straight back to property, the rent needs to be v- fairly close to your mortgage repayments. Take it, take it one step further from a business point of view. Take it from a from an accountant's point of view. So focus mm-hmm. on the cash sheet rather than the balance sheet. Yes. So don't worry about where the wealth is and the equity. That will come as long as you can control the cash flow to be able to support the asset to give it time yeah. to grow. And I think people are really get lulled into the false sense of security or into a bad habit of actually trying to measure their net wealth constantly uh, via that particular That's property or the, yeah. or the portfolio rather than where is my cash flow this week. Just or, remembering or that ca- cash flow is lifestyle, right? So, and, and, and uh, you know, the, your equity is your wealth. Yeah. So, you know, you want to have your lifestyle as well. Is equity vanity and cash flow is sort of, you know, sensibility? Is that the way you should be looking that's at it? That's a good this? way of putting it. Yeah, I, I made that up. I told him and he's using Yeah, it. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can have that one. You no, know. 100% though. And I think where people fall into the trap is greed and ego, which is often what we talk about. And that greed could be the equity and the ego. The greed is buying again and again and again. And the ego is look how much I'm worth. But tomorrow I'm not worth anything because I haven't controlled my You've got, to sell, your, you've got to sell your assets because you can't afford to hold it. It's, yeah. It's not Absolutely. a very good outcome. Absolutely. And, and also I think people are, a benchmark and we've talked about this before people benchmark themselves against everybody else they see whether it be via social media or, what or how many you. properties they own and all this yeah, sort of stuff like, yeah and it's just silly this is the question that every single property investor probably thinks about but it's the magic it's the magic idea right mm. Victor said you know how much you need to chip in in order to hold a property over time so how do you balance up how much you chip in and when to stop chipping in money and get rid of something versus keep chipping in because what you're putting in is amplifying two, three, four, five, ten times in equity how does that work? Yeah, really good question. In the right here, right now scenario, like if we're you know, a new investor and we're talking about today's dollars, I should have my maximum shortfall dollar amount per week and I don't exceed it. So the shortfall is the difference between all income and expenditure of the of the property. That's what you can afford. That's what I want to afford. I've got, that's purely for property. Mm. That's not my entire disposable yeah. income, just for property. Then I've got lifestyle then i've got risk mitigation or buffers and and everything else this is just once again purely for property and let's say that, that amount is i don't know whatever 400 bucks a week so i need to be able to be able to create a portfolio around that ceiling of 400 dollars a week pre-ta- and that could be one property could be 10 properties exactly and pre-tax dollars at that and this is really really important now as you build the portfolio i can hear the questions now yeah but you know rates are what 4.8 percent what happens if they get to six work it out at six yeah take that into account for the future. If you're utilizing, say, people like us who are reviewing your scenario or your situation you know, four or five times a year, mm. then we will be steering in a direction so that you don't exceed the, the ceiling mm. of that $400 a week or whatever it was we said, or how we can perhaps implement other properties within the portfolio to accommodate that cash flow position so right there. Yeah, so that's when you start getting a wider portfolio. But if you got if you can afford inverted commas, $400 outside of all the other stuff, a week to servicing a property investment portfolio or building asset, property assets. How do you work out, though, It's that it's worthwhile to be spending that $400 on a property which might only be going up a little bit in, in value in terms of equity? You know, yeah, that yeah, balance, yeah. It's, it's, that's asset, select, asset selection, yeah. Yeah, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. It, it's so, so important. So even so if you can afford $400, you shouldn't just go and know that I'll go and buy this property because it's going to cost me 400 bucks. It might not go up in value. No, not at all. Yeah. You have to look at where the market cycle is in that area. You know, what what's that property going to bring to you in terms of your 
uh, overall goal and a- every property that you buy you need to need to see what impact it'll have on the first of all on the portfolio itself and then also on on, on your lifestyle as well well i think it, your risk profile mm. really comes in you might go out and buy something nice in the suburbs of sydney and have that short for four hundred dollars a week and over the last four or five years you'd have done extremely well but you know, most people won't handle that ride, so to speak, between their ears, the, the volatility of the asset, um, which is you know, something that we don't look for. So I think that person's risk profile has you know, a lot to do with it. But for people like Vic and I, we're quite low risk. So the types of properties in those affordable corridors or belts that we continually look for give us that peace of mind. Yes, we're not going to make a million dollars overnight, but we don't expect to and we don't want to. It's just slow and steady wins the race. So is it okay to have negative cash flow properties in your portfolio? Absolutely. Yeah. Why within within affordability, right? So, you know, if you go back to the yesteryears in terms of the education, the the banded thing was um, you know, negative gearing. And and over the years, I think it's lost its true meaning in the sense that if you really look at negative gearing in its true sense, you're putting in a small amount of money to control a much larger asset. So gears therefore negative gearing. But what people tend to mistake that for is negative cash flow. Uh, and and that's, that's what we need to, need to get out of our mind is that they're two very different things. So if we're talking about negative cash flow, again, it comes back to just like Steve said, in, in terms of the threshold in, uh, in terms of affordability to be able to hold onto the entire asset base. So that includes their home, the investment property or properties, and whatever else is going to happen in their life in the say next five, 10 years. So you've got to plan it in the sense that you're going to acquire say X number of properties in year one. This is where it's going to, what, what it's going to look like in year three, year five, year 10. So you're pre- pretty much you know designing your decade and then you now have the bigger picture. And um, uh, I've, I've just stolen Steve's um, coin phrase, so he's, he's just laughing at me. Uh, designing your decade. Design a decade. Design the decade. Yeah. Des- design a decade or design your decade? Design, design your decade. decade yeah. Or your decade. Yeah. Don't, hey, don't, don't, don't go altering <laughs> my now. <laughs> so, you know, we look at, we look at the bigger picture, right? And, and, and we're coming back to, okay, by adding this particular property, what does it make it? Does it make the overall picture negative? Or does it does it still play within the limits that I've set for myself in terms of my cash flow? So a lot of people just focus on the cash flow of just the property. It actually should be the cash flow of, of pretty much the whole portfolio. Your whole portfolio. So we're, we're covering a lot of yeah. You know, this this is probably worth a lot more than half an hour. This mm. particular because it is a very it's a complex dynamic cash flow because it's different for every person. Absolutely. Point it is. number one. Yep. And it's different depending on where you are in the maturity of your property portfolio. Number mm. and, two, and, and the age of and the, the age person as well. Yeah. And 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 the more you do of it, the more it impacts your cash flow. So it's a very, yes. it's always moving. It's always mm. fluid. But let's come back to your question: Can you get positive cash flow properties, or should you have a, a negative? Is it okay cash- to have negative cash flow properties? Was the question? That's a trick question because. How are you he running? He's a your journalist, numbers? anyway, right? Yeah, no, he's a good journalist. So. It, <laughs> just a journal. Just a journal. <laughs> <Just a journey. laughs> it's your Christmas present number plates. <laughs> like, how are you running your numbers? Are you leveraging? And so that if you're leveraging, whether it be ninety percent, eighty percent, whatever, seventy percent, still a hundred percent. Well, your debt levels influences your cash flow, right? Exactly, you know? and this is where people don't really look hard enough when you're reading other people's stories. Yeah, it. Um, 
take it on as 100% debt. If you're taking equity out of your home or another property to leverage, it's 100%. It's probably 105% debt. So be real to yourself. Don't uh, sugarcoat the numbers. Yeah. So the secret of all this is that your property's going up in value, right? Yeah. This is why it's cash flow management, not cash flow properties. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you can have cash flow positive properties, but you can still have a negative cash flow portfolio, depending on what's happening. Depending on what's happening. Yep. Yeah. So cash flow includes absolutely everything. You've got to take everything into you account. to hold yes. your property portfolio. And my experience is a lot of people try and look at it all bells and whistles and how, how it's firing along, but they don't price and everything. I'm pretty brutal on our portfolio. You're, you are massively good. brutal. Mm. Like you've got every perceivable cost and some. That's a real way. Yeah. And only then you can get a true picture of your ability to keep creating wealth by acquiring more properties. Yeah, because you can sugarcoat it and miss out a figure here and there mm. and make it look as good as you want on paper. But at the end of the day, it's coming. you're going to have to put your hand in your pocket and you're going to have to take some money out. So why not be real from the get-go so that there's no nasty surprises and you don't become a victim? And Victor touched on negative gearing. So to your point there, you, negative gearing is an outcome. Yep, um, it's not a strategy. Which, which happens when mm. you do your tax return at the end of the year and your accountant does with it. So irrespective of after tax, you might be cash flow neutral, mm. you still need to underwrite with real money the, the, the period of time <laughs> until that happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and if you take that, you get your tax check back at the end of the financial year. If, if that's the only thing that is keeping you afloat, you're, dangerous in, you're in a dangerous position. So this is where people say, oh, it's a negative gearing strategy. My, my accountant told me that this strategy works for me. It means you can uh, have property and it's also tax effective. Mm-hmm. So change, it's not a strategy. Change yeah. accountants. Change accountants. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But I don't think a lot of accountants really get it. You know, they, no, they, no. But listen. mind you, they're, they're looking at purely from a textbook approach, mm. right? They're not looking at it from real-life approach. The real-life approach is you actually have to throw money at it to hold a negative geared, negatively geared property. Yeah, so one of the things that, that you need to keep in mind, and, and which is something we've said before, is you can't run a wealth accumulation scheme in line with, an, with a uh, tax minimization scheme. They're two very different types of uh, strategies. Outside of buying your property well, how else can you influence positive cash flow on your property? What levers do you have? The finance would be one. So uh, you know, getting finance and, and regularly reviewing uh, your finance structure uh, in, and, and seeing what else is out there without having to unnecessarily change every single year. So, you know, first of all, you've got to select the, the finance uh, finance um, providers well to begin with mm. and you, you keep tweaking it and getting, you know, a quarter of a percent here, you know, a, a, a professional fee off on, on, on another loan. That all adds up. The other thing also is um, uh, looking at, um, you know, your rents coming in, making sure that, the rent that you're expecting is actually dropping into your account and um, you know you're not getting caught up in unnecessary spending of um, um, of repairs and, and maintenance in your property where you actually may not have needed that there may be a cheaper or better way of doing it and uh, equally importantly not neglecting the maintenance as well so that it doesn't become a major problem down the track as well massively important that's where the, and so once again that's why it's cash flow management when we sit down and we review uh, a portfolio for a client we're looking at every bit of expenditure and income so everything from interest rates to management rates council rates insurance insurance everything then how can we wring any more dollars out of its income should we spend a couple of thousand on it to accentuate the rent or will that be just yeah, lost capital 
that should we room rent as an example not suggesting everybody should room rent but are there other ways should we add a granny flat or a secondary income just so that we can squeeze out the maximum potential of every single property that you get or it might be just something as simple as we're buying it because it's got great yield attached to it and let's just control that so we can we've controlled the income now let's control the expenditure so the ways you can influence the cash position of the property is either make more money or decrease costs in a roundabout way yeah so on the decreasing cost side um Repairs and maintenance don't 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 over don't over spend. Don't do too many improvements, which is going to influence your ability to make more money out of it. What about structure? Does that sort of change the way in which it's going to influence your? Are you your, talking your about cash entity, flow? the purchase entity? entity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, potentially. Yeah, um, you know, whether it be an individual name or, or dual names, mm-hmm. tenants in common, or whether it's in a trust. So sometimes it's more expensive to hold a property depending on the structure. So a trust, for example. Yeah, you've got. Other fees, ordering costs, and so on. Yeah, yeah. you got to look at all the pros and cons of it, right? And often, one of the key things that most people fail to hear when their accountant advises them uh, of holding properties in the trust is that your tax credits are held up in the trust. It doesn't get actually passed down unless it's a special trust. And 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 I'm pretty sure that most accountants, when they're setting up these structures, they do actually tell these uh, investors that this is the case. Maybe very uh, quietly. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of investors get caught up in the sense of, okay, and I, I now need to have a have a trust uh, because I've got three, four properties under my, under my belt. And it sounds uh, cool. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. Yeah, there's pros and cons of everything, right? Absolutely. Well, there is, but like go into it for the right reasons. That's what we would really, yeah. really encourage. And when it comes to things like trusts, because there are multiple different or different types of trusts mm-hmm. that get multiple opinions mm-hmm. you know, from the subject matter expert. Don't try and just, keep it as simple as possible is my opinion yeah yeah changing the cash flow of a property or portfolio can be like turning a ship right it takes a long time for it to take it does action so but let's just say you need to take immediate action to do something with your portfolio mm-hmm. today to improve its cash position what can you do negotiate rates yep very first and straight away straight away the interest amount, rates interest yep. rates we would so that's decreasing costs that's decreasing costs yeah which you know penny saved is too earned it um the amount of people that we sit down with and their interest rates are over and above normality is unbelievable. So if you're paying over 5% at the moment on... No, see, that depends on what the borrowing entity is, what mm-hmm. LVR position... You know, what's if you're paying your, 6%, should you be looking at it? Like, I think wh- you'd be looking at it What should be a trigger? Well, well, be here's, a trigger. A, here's a real example from yeah. late last week. So I sat down with a client and they... Uh, admittedly, it was a 90% LVR loan, which they'd had for six months or so like that. And the interest rate with one of the majors was 5.6. Okay. Yeah, interest only. And what we discovered was that it might be beneficial for him to actually go 3.85 P&I. And the holding cost difference on that property on a monthly basis was $20. Okay. So what he's doing there now, I'm not suggesting that's the right thing to do for everybody, but what he's doing is he's he, he hasn't reduced his outage in terms of cash flow or expenses, but what he's doing is he's buying equity, therefore reducing his his cost over a period of time because we're allowing for what's going to happen but if you want to increase your cash flow immediately your net cash flow reduce your rates mm-hmm. is what i would suggest and you might have to ring up the bank 10 times 20 times but you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing if you can get one basis point off it means something to you and that's immediate pretty much it's immediate yeah, yeah. anything else Victor, you can do straight away well i suppose you could review rents um uh, um It'll probably take, depending on uh, whether they're in leases or not, um, it can take anywhere from uh, a few months if, if they're in lease to a couple of weeks uh, to get the increase in, depending on the state and so forth. But you also don't want to uh, cut off your nose to spite your face in this scenario as well. Often when you increase your rent, 
uh, the first thing a tenant would do is jump on the net and see what else is available out there. Uh, and if you're pretty much at market or, or slightly above market, I wouldn't rock that boat. Mm. Um, yeah, well, that's a question to answer. So let's, right. let's put that scenario into real terms. Let's put my rent up by $10 a week to give me $520 a year. Or do we look at it from a cash flow management point of view? My tenants might leave. It'll take me three weeks plus a lost week of rent to the agent. Plus I might have to do some cleaning up as well. Plus repairs and maintenance to get that extra 10, which I'll eventually get, but I might have actually lost six to eight weeks worth of rent mm-hmm. in my hand yep. and there's your there's your question Bird cash flow and all that cash yes. flow management versus cash flow consistent cash flow yeah yeah it's a lot of moving parts mm. massive and this is why we are huge advocates of uh, obviously your own taking taking your own responsibility of your own financial position but also surrounding yourself with people that perhaps can have a look from the outside in and and give you some guiding mm avenues to go down so should every portfolio or property or per- portfolio become positive cash flow at a point in time over a period of time so uh, if you if you hold it long enough in the fundamental areas provided you've bought well and you don't re- refinance yes it, everything comes do. back yeah. to if you've bought well that's right yeah. that's what it comes down to yeah and and, and yes if and as steve said if you haven't continually refinanced the rent should far exceed the um, uh, mortgage repayments and all of your outgoings. This is where I, I challenge the strategy of, of perhaps other advisors where they will say, look, let's buy the property and it's, what's, what year are we in? 2017 and by the rent will go up automatically every year because that's what it does. But it doesn't. Plus inflation? No, it doesn't. And then by the time, in, in five years' time, it'll become positive cash flow. So just suck it up for five years and it'll look after itself. It's a negative gearing strategy, Steve, as they'll tell you. (laughs) No, but even if they don't, they'll just say it will eventually catch up. Mm. Yeah, cool. If you buy one property and you don't leverage from this particular property, but you are going to leverage from this property if you're going to build a substantial portfolio. So buy for the now, not for the future is what you're saying. Uh, In in a cash flow perspective. From a cash flow perspective, how we look at it is we buy for the the now. We look at it four different, well, four chunks. We look at it for the now and then the following four quarters. Mm because we're trying to predict a little bit what's going to happen from a worst case scenario, not about its cash flow management in five years, because we might not survive that long if we don't look after ourselves in the now. So it's a balancing act for some, it's a tightrope for some others. Um, it's about creating, it's about acquiring good performing properties, which are going to go up in value that you can somehow manage to keep a hold of without it buying a farm. Yeah, right, I, you know? I, I, I reckon that you know if investing is negatively impacting your lifestyle, in other words, you have to you know, rethink whether you, you're going out uh, once a week or not. I think you should you should you should take a step back. Don't do it. Put your money in the savings account and get zero point seven five percent. Yes, go backwards. <laughs> yeah. go back. yeah. A lot of people go backwards. Mm. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Massive. Amount. A lot. Yeah. Yes. I'm not going to say most, but mm-hmm. a lot. Well, here's a, here's a real example. As of today, one of our clients is settling a property, and it's been settlement has been counts cancelled for the I think it's a fourth time because the vendor can't get the sufficient funds to discharge the mortgage. So they own a losing losing position. And when you look at the RP data and or CoreLogic, uh, he's paid, I think it was 30% more than what we're purchasing or what the client's purchasing. Negative cash flow, negative equity. So these, these people have found themselves in negative equity. He relied upon property. the growth to make him wealthy and the growth didn't come quick enough. Mm. So it comes back to buying in the right spot. Mm. And cash flow management. Yeah, and cash flow management. So, so, because yeah. he wouldn't have had to sell if he was able to hold on to that Absolutely. property. Yep. So it's a balancing act for some and you know, it's not too rocky for other mm-hmm. people. They're just on a tyro about the fall over. A principle that you've spoken about many times to me, Victor, is, is pigeon pairing. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk us through that? Sure. So if you, if you have, um, let's say, a um, heavy negative cash flow property, yet it's got 
really good growth prospects. You can soften the blow of the negative cash flow by going out and buying a property, again, still in the metropolitan areas, and uh, that having a far higher cash flow uh, position so that it's it's a higher yielding property that's bringing in money, whilst you, the, the property that you've already got is taking out money. So that it softens the blow, blow where you are, uh, let's say you are, say, $200 a week negative cash flow, by buying the second property and um, implementing the strategy on that property. So as an example, putting a granny flat on it, it's now reducing your overall negative cash flow in your portfolio by $100. So you've halved your negative cash flow. It makes it easier to hold onto this high growth property. Or it could be a property that you've bought um, uh, in a flesh of vanity where yeah, you know it's, it's more of a lifestyle property. You know, investing that's gone wrong is called a lifestyle property. So what Steve always talks about that's is right. place up in Nelson Bay. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Your holiday much. house that you've been to once. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> actually, actually, four times now. Actually. Yeah. Four times. 15 so, years. So, so. The, the, these lifestyle, if you've got these lifestyle properties and, and, and sometimes, it, it, you know, if you were to sell it, you're going to not only lose a little bit of money, you're going to lose substantial amount of money because it's not worth probably what you paid for it. You could buy yourself time by pairing it against a uh, higher cash flow property so it softens the blow over a period of time so you don't lose I've, the I've capital. about a dozen against this one. <laughs> yeah, it still negative. doesn't work. <laughs> <It's terrible working. laughs> so this comes to property investing, Victor. You want your property to go up in value. That's yes. the, the central key to investing in property. Correct. Okay, so cash flow management is mm-hmm. about making sure that you can hold on to one or many properties which are all going up in value mm-hmm. but still being able to do what you need to do and live a Exactly life. right. And yeah. understanding also that not all properties will go up in value in that one year. Mm. You go through cycles. Mm, you may, you know, it's, it's um, pretty much if you've bought towards the peak of your price cycle, you've got to wait for a little while to get growth. Okay. I think there's probably a lot of people going... I know a lot more about cash flow now, but I'm probably a little bit more confused about it. Uh, I think we're going to have to get you some <laughs> writing, writing some more stuff for, <laughs> for smartpropertyinvestment.com.au uh, on this, Victor. It's, uh, it, is, it is complex. There's a it lot is. of moving yeah. things, and you can't stop looking at it. You've got to be alert and vigilant mm-hmm. and yeah. engage with your portfolio. You need to know all the nuances. Have of a regular look at the numbers, you know, mm. if, even if it's you know once a quarter. Um, I think that's the most that you let it get get away from you. Mm. Uh, if you're going beyond that, then then you don't have sight of the numbers. So if you do everything yourself, and there's a lot of investors that choose to run their whole portfolio, and they might only have one meeting a year with their accountant, and that is their their property investment advisor, and it's cool to do it yourself. How would you stress test to get another set of eyes on your property to make sure it's it's the right thing to do? You sit down with um, providers that are using the same strategy as you're implementing or, or, or have been in the market for a lot longer than you to get their unbiased opinion. And, and uh, look, everyone's got some level of bias. You just need to know what their bias is to, to, to be able to then sit down with them so that you, you get clear uh, recommendations and equally importantly um, you know, a simple litmus test right if there's if you have to constantly top up your accounts where your mortgage repayments are going out of you've, you've got a negative cash flow property yeah well our portfolio and we've spoken about it a lot on the smart property investment show is it's a negative cash flow mm. property but, but we're in buying phase right you know yep. so it comes to the maturity of the product if we decided to stop buying property now and uh, you know I think our LVR position is about 97% um you know, yes, rents will go up at 
Yeah, it's not that high. Yeah, yeah, sixty-seven percent. Sixty-seven percent, right? So we, if we stop buying now, yeah. six-seven. Just saying again. Yeah, over a period of time, that will become a a cash flow positive. Yes, absolutely, portfolio. Yep, and that's the goal, mm. right? But a lot of this comes down to, and these conversation you need to have is. Why are you investing in property? What's the goals? Is it an immediate goals? Is something you're looking, if you're 60 years old, you might only have five, 10 years of you know, time to actually go out and, and build a portfolio. If you're 20 years old, you've probably got different, 50 different years types to of do it. Different so, you put together. Yeah. yeah, so it's different for everyone. One size does not fit all. There's a lot of things you need to be thinking about, worrying about, and it's complicated. It is. Okay, that's refreshing. <laughs> you got it? I've got it now. I've got it. So I've got it. But you need on top of it. You've got to be all over it. Absolutely. Because you don't want to be lying in bed at night worrying about your property portfolio. It's the secret. Not worth right? it. That's my measure. That's mine. So that's my measure. Yeah. I, yep. I, I never... The sleep at night factor. Yeah. I, I never... When I when I lie in bed worrying about something, I never worry about our portfolio, which is cool, you know? But that's do a different strategy. Much? Do you want some counselling? No, I'm, I'm actually pretty, I'm pretty good. I've got my, my yin and yang sorted out. <laughs> I sleep, Big, uh, Victor I sleep well. He did, you know, he did. He's, uh, he's got this electromagnetic field around him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I enjoy that. Let's get you some writing, some more stuff about this. I think Absolutely. each of these individual concepts we've spoken about need a lot more explanation. And, um, and again, to bookend uh, the chat, this is the purpose of investing inside the right property group to actually talk about these things and actually give a lot more clarity around it and and if i was a listener of this podcast um i'd be thinking about what does this mean to me and how can i use this information to maybe critically assess or think about my portfolio in a different way and it might be reaffirming that you're doing a lot of things right and uh, i hope you are but also stress testing those things and making those changes that you need to make in order to you know the principle is try and create cash flow positive properties that are going up in value as quickly as possible. Absolutely. That's the holy grail. Awesome. That's uh, property investing condensed into one sentence. But um, <laughs> So, Victor, how can people find out more about you guys? Certainly, they can go to our Facebook page, Right Property Group, R-I-G-H-D, uh, or go to our website, same same name, .com.au, or uh, they can send us uh, a, um, uh, if they've got questions, they can send us questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au. Okay, and what we should do, I think, is to curate a whole bunch of those questions together and let's do a Q&A session. That'll be really good. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. So, so we're going to be doing this uh, every single month, and um, please continue joining us on this journey. And if you've got any particular topics that you'd like us to cover, uh, drop a, a note to Victor on that same email address. Questions at questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au and, uh, and we'll do a big Q and A session, and uh, they're always quite good fun. As I mentioned beforehand, uh, we're going to be uh, rolling out um, last uh, episodes or last series uh, over the next period of time, just so you can catch up on some of these key themes that we've spoken about beforehand. Some, some really good ones as well. Uh, you can also go and listen to them on smartpropertyinvestment.com.au. Just click on podcast and you can track it down. Anything else to talk about before we sign off, guys? Is that pretty much it? Been good fun. You happy? You you happy to be back for series two? I'm happy to be back. What did you most like about series one? The jokes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're a whole bunch of funny guys. <laughs> yeah, Eyes rolling. Yeah. <laughs> what would you most enjoy about the first series? I know it's really popular, so um. Yeah, people obviously like it, but what did you enjoy about it? Probably the questions. Mm. Mm. Questions are always good because you know you can always assume what people want to know or want want answered, but when they actually give the questions, it's far easier. Makes yeah. it real. Yeah, makes it real. And we're all big boys here. But if anyone's got any 
suggestions for how we can improve we're, we're yeah. all ears as well happy to hear it mm-hmm. yeah great all right nice one thanks right. for your time guys really appreciate it and uh, uh we'll be back again next month until then bye bye the information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon before making any investment insurance tax property or financial planning decision you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned 